we get into the message, uh, a question or two that I have for you. In fact, let's do this. Let's continue just to enter into a time of prayer. And so if you would, I know you're trying to find your Bibles, so you can get there in a moment. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes for me quickly. Because as we gather in this place and on this day, I think that if we were to be completely open and honest with one another, we'd have to reveal that there are some things in our lives that we're struggling with today. So the question's pretty simple. I'm just wondering from you, are you here today and behind your smile and the appearance that you're projecting, are you here this morning and you feel frustrated, overwhelmed, discouraged in your life in any way, would you just raise your hand where you are? All across the room. Maybe I ask them like this. Any of you in your prayers, you're, you're crying out to God for help, for relief, but you feel as though all you're getting in return is silence from Him? If that would be you, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Father, I pray that you would help us to to find encouragement from your word this morning. We thank you for for the blessing in which we have your word. And God, we recognize that your word is completely sufficient in all things, Father. We only need to turn to it uh, to find our hope, to find our directions, and to find our guidance that we need from you. So Father, I pray as we look at Psalm chapter 22, that this morning that we would be encouraged in knowing how we're to approach you in times of great suffering. We ask your blessings upon this time. We commit it all unto you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so two places in your scriptures, Psalm chapter 22, Acts chapter 2. Now, in many of the Psalms, the pattern of the psalmist goes something like this. It usually begins with a crying out to God, a crying out to Him, a plea from the psalmist in a time of great distress. And then usually by the end of the chapter, there's a resolution in the sense that God either delivers the psalmist from their circumstance or God comforts the psalmist in their circumstance. Now, Psalm chapter 22 is completely different. Here, David cries out to God and no answers come. By the end of chapter 22, nothing changes. He receives no comfort, no strength, no relief, no deliverance from his circumstance. He feels as though uh, God's presence is, is gone uh, he's overwhelmed because he can't do anything to change his circumstance. In fact, he believes that if God doesn't intervene in his life in a miraculous way, then he's going to die. Sometimes I think it's easy to miss the fact that David, not only was he a great king, he was a, a, a beautiful poet. And we see that in many of his songs. But not only was he a king, and not only was he a poet, David was also a prophet. I think that's the part of David that we tend to, to miss out on. And so that's why I have you opened your Bibles to, to Acts chapter 2 as well. And so I want to begin there, because in Acts chapter 2, I want you to listen and to see what Peter had to say, beginning in verse number 22. 
So Peter writes and he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, uh, just as you yourselves know this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Verse 25 says, For David says of him, and here's a quote that comes from uh, Psalm 16. It says, I saw the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue was overjoyed. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me a full gladness with your presence. Verse 29 says, Brothers, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So verse 30 30 says, So because he was a prophet, and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. For 31, he looked ahead and he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he will neither abandon to Hades, nor uh, did his flesh suffer decay. It is this Jesus whom God raised up, a fact to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, since he has been exalted at the right hand of God, and has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out this which you both see and hear. Now, I love verses 30 and 31. Because he was a prophet, he looked ahead in verse 31, and he spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Now, now go to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22 was written at an extremely difficult time in David's life. And in this psalm, we see how he feels completely alone and completely abandoned. Scripture gives us no further insight into the timing of this psalm. Now, we do know that there were two extremely dark periods of of time in David's life. When he was under attack from Saul, or when his own son Absalom tried to uh, betray and overthrow him. I think it's reasonable that this psalm could have been uh, written during either one of those two times. I think that's a reasonable uh, expectation. However, what I want you to understand, what's unique about Psalm chapter 22, is that Psalm chapter 22 is what we would call a messianic psalm. In other words, the Lord used the events of the psalmist and the words of the psalmist to point us to the Messiah. And so what that is telling us is that God allowed David in this time of grief, agony, and despair. It's like the Holy Spirit lifts David up above his pain and reveals unto him the suffering of the Messiah that's going to come some thousand years later. In in striking detail, David foretells of the agony of our Lord. I mean, consider this one fact that he describes the Roman method of crucifixion, nailing 
of hands and feet hundreds of years before it was even known unto the Jews. So make no mistake, Psalm chapter 22 is all about Jesus. I think we should be reminded of what Jesus had to say to his disciples after his resurrection and before his ascension. Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verse number 44, Jesus says, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So it is from this psalm that Jesus quotes from while he's on the cross. In fact, here's an interesting little fact about Psalm chapter 22. Uh, Because this psalm has so many details that are fulfilled in the New Testament, many people in the early church referred to Psalm chapter 22 as the fifth gospel. It was known as the fifth gospel. In fact, for, for those that like to get a little bit more and, and, and go a little bit deeper, then I want to challenge you at some point today to discover and to see the connection between Psalm chapter 22 and the fulfillment of Scripture from the New Testament. In order to help you do that, let me just real quick give you a listing of those connections, okay? So I'll try to go slow enough so that you can write them down. It probably would help if you just write them right here in your Bible. Write them in your Bible, and I'll give you the the New Testament fulfillment, and you'll just be overwhelmed at the connections, and then you'll begin to see why this was referred to as the fifth gospel. Starting in verse number one, the New Testament fulfillment occurs in Mark chapter 15, verse number 34. Mark 15, verse 34. Then in verse number 6, the fulfillment occurs in Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 44. Matthew 27, verse 39 through 44. Verse number 7, the fulfillment occurs in Matthew 27, verse number 29. Matthew 27, verse 29. Verse number 8, Matthew 27, verse 43. Matthew 27, verse 43. Verse number 10. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Luke 1, 35. Verse 14. John 19, verse 34. John 19, verse 34. Then verse number 15 is John 19, verse 28. John 19, 28. Then verse number 16 John 19, verse 37. For those of you that are writing them down, am I going slow enough for you? We good? I'll help your neighbor out. Uh, Verse number 17. Verse 17 is Luke chapter 23, verse number 35. Luke 23, verse 35. Verse 18, Luke 23, verse 34. Verse 22. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Hebrews 2, 11 and 12. Verse 24. Hebrews 5, verse 7. Hebrews 5, 7. Almost there. Verse 26. John chapter 6, verse number 51. John 6, 51. Verse 28. 
Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Matthew 6, 9 through 10. And then verse number 29, Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. I do hope that you got all of those. If you didn't, you can see me after the service and I'll fill in the blanks for you. Not only do I hope that you wrote those down, I do hope that you'll spend time today or this week or this week praying through and seeing the connections and then you'll understand more completely why they would refer to to this as the fifth gospel. Now, this morning when we're looking at the fifth gospel, I want to challenge us and encourage us with with some insight that we can learn from this about how we can approach God in our times of suffering. Because the fact of the matter is, either you're currently suffering or struggling in something today, or if you're not currently, there will be a time in your future where, where you will be. So it would be wise to have this down so that you can return to it, so that you can know how to properly approach God in times of great suffering. And so with that being said, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to be honest in your prayers. Look at verse number one. Verse number one in Psalm chapter 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. David begins the psalm with a, with a desperate and passionate cry. He feels as though he's completely alone, totally abandoned by God. And so he begins his prayer with, why? Why, God? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me here to bear the burden of this mess all on my own? He's saying, why? why? Why, God? Why are you not doing anything? Why are you not doing anything in my eyes to relieve the stress or the tension that I'm experiencing in this circumstance? Why? Why is God not responding for my cries of relief? Now, verse number one is so familiar to all of us, I would imagine, because verse number one are the words that Jesus cries out while he's on the cross. Which means, follow with me, which means part of God's purpose for seemingly deserting David in his time of great need was to point us to the truth that one day God would turn his back upon his son as he bore the sins of the world on the cross. We need to be honest with God in our prayers the text continues in verse 2. It says, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man a reproach of men and despised by the people, all who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, because He delights in Him. Sometimes, like David, we can face trials that are so severe that we, like David, can feel as though God has just forgotten 
about us. As much as we pray, there are times where, if we have to be honest, we might feel as though there's no answer in those prayers. But what we need to understand is that sometimes God's answers to our prayers is a no. It's just a straight out no. The reality is, God is much more inclined to give us what we need rather than what we want. And a lot of times our problem is we think what we want is what we need and we're looking for the want to be filled rather than the need to be addressed in our lives. And so sometimes God's answer to our prayer is a no and He's going to give us what we need rather than what it is that we think that we want. And then sometimes God's answer is just not yet. Not yet. The timing's not right. There's something still that needs to be done, whether in us or through the circumstance. And so his answer is not yet. But in that answer of not yet, it doesn't mean that we quit praying. It doesn't mean that we give up hope. We continue to pray. We continue to press on. In fact, Psalm chapter 22 tells us how to handle this when we're praying unto God. So, so when you're praying, and you're asking God for relief or for help in a circumstance, and you just don't feel like your prayer is getting answered, let me give you some things to consider. Real quick, I'll give you five things that you should do as you're praying and asking God for help. First of all, you should seek God's reason for your prolonged suffering. Seek His reason for your prolonged suffering. Ask Him what? Not just, why is this happening to me? But ask Him what? What, Father, what is it that You're trying to teach me? What is it that I need to learn? What is it that I perhaps need to correct in my own life? Why, Why is this continuing? What's the purpose of this prolonged suffering? Sometimes our suffering is not a result of something that we've done to ourselves. Sometimes our suffering is in order for God to accomplish something in and through that suffering. In other words, sometimes the reason why we go through hardships and trials and and times of suffering isn't for our benefit. It could very well be for the benefit of someone else. Scripture tells us that. In places like 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. You get that? When we're struggling, we're afflicted, the comfort that God gives to us is preparing us to extend that comfort to other people in times of their suffering. So sometimes the reason for our prolonged suffering is so God can develop in us a ministry that we can provide for someone else down the road. So we need to seek the reason for this prolonged suffering. And then we continue to pray and to cry out to God. Don't give up on your prayers when you feel as though your prayers are not being answered right away. Be assured that God hears. God is sovereign in and through it all. God doesn't always give us what we ask for. And for that, we should say, hey, man. 
Sometimes he gives us what we need rather than the request that we want. So we're going to seek his reason for the prolonged suffering. We're going to continue to pray and to cry out to God. Then we're going to stay strong in the faith. Don't doubt God. Trust. Stand firm. Remember that God sovereignly reigns in and through all things. Don't waver in your trust and your faith in God. He is sovereign. He is upon his throne. And his will will be accomplished in and through our lives. So stay strong in your faith. And then that allows us to, number four, uh, to rest in the promises of God. It may seem as though you're all alone. Have you been there? You feel isolated? Nobody understands? Nobody's there with you? You're all by yourself? Let me tell you, if you feel that, it's a lie. It's a lie. Don't buy the lie. Because you're never alone. Jesus, in his own words, has made that promise unto us who are in Christ. He makes a promise so clearly in the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. He says, Jesus came up and he spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to uh, observe all things that I have commanded you. And then he says, And lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. You're never alone. Don't buy into the lie that tries to tell you that you're all by yourself. So seek God's reason for the prolonged suffering. Continue to pray out and cry out to God. Stay strong in your faith. Rest in the promises of God. And then fifth, remember, it is a privilege to suffer for Christ. We don't talk about this a lot. We don't preach a lot of sermons about this a lot. But we should. It is a privilege. It is a high honor to suffer in life for the cause of Christ. In fact, Scripture tells us, 1 Peter chapter 4, you might want to mark this one down and go back and check it out for yourself. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse number 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. But to the, sorry, but to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory, you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's saying, look, don't be surprised if you face heartaches and hardships and trials and persecutions in fact if you're persecuted if you're insulted because of the name of jesus then you're blessed but he also gives some clarification here and then he says make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler in other words make sure your suffering is because of the cause of christ not because of your stupidity and your sin So if you're suffering because of the cause of Christ, then you're blessed. Rejoice in that. It says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify 
God in His name. So that's just point number one. And now I'm going to go through the rest really fast. How do we approach God in times of great suffering? Where we're honest with Him with our prayers. And then we're to confess our trust in God. God, God allows David to record these words. In fact, the Holy Spirit speaks through him so that we might have these words. And in this, we see how David takes his eyes off of his problems and puts his eyes upon the Lord. And look at verse number 9. It says, "You, Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. In times of trouble and in times of frustration, we must quit focusing so much on the circumstance and focus more upon our God who can deliver us from those circumstances. We should always remember God's faithfulness in our lives. Remembering God's faithfulness is incredibly helpful to us in living. But why is it so important? Because His faithfulness in the past is a great encouragement for us in the present. God never promises to spare us from difficult days in life. But He does promise to never forsake us or abandon us. I mean, that's the reality. Even if we are faithless, Scripture says He remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. So we need to remember the great faithfulness of our Lord. Therefore, we can and we should trust Him in every situation of our life. Remember, our God is bigger than the problem that you face. Our God is greater than the enemy that attacks you. He is bigger and He is greater. Remember His faithfulness in the past so you can be encouraged in the present. So we have to be honest in our prayers. We need to confess our trust in God. Number three, we need to remember the incomparable suffering of Christ. Remember the incomparable suffering of Christ. As David described the fierceness of his enemies, his vision reached well beyond his personal pain. In fact, in amazing detail, he foretold of the crucifixion of our Lord. As I read through this next section, I want you to consider this. These are words that are written not of the cross, but these are words that are written from the cross. It's not a view of the cross. It is a view from the cross. Look at verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouths at me. As a raving and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. 
And you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. In the midst of his trouble and all of his pain, the Holy Spirit uses the suffering of David to point us to the suffering of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And the suffering of our Lord should comfort us in the sense that the suffering of our Lord reveals the extraordinary love that God has for mankind. Here's another way to look at it. Through the suffering of David, the love of God was fully made known. Suffering has an unparalleled opportunity to reveal both the presence and the power of God. That's why we're told in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live my faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. And so, in the midst of great hardship, we need to be honest with God in our prayers. We need to confess our trust in God. Remember the incomparable suffering of our Lord. And then we need to pray for God's help. Verse number 19, he says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. I mean, this passage teaches us a significant truth. Sometimes God allows us to suffer so that in the end, we can experience a greater victory. All right, I'll say that again. Because sometimes God allows us to suffer so that in the end, we can experience a greater victory. Think about it. A miraculous provision cannot occur without there first being a desperate need. A divine healing doesn't happen unless there's a great sickness in the life of a person. Death precedes resurrection. And so throughout every trial and difficult circumstance that we face, we must continue to trust in God. Even if the circumstances of our life don't change, we can continue to trust in Him. For me, this is of great encouragement. The realization that sometimes He allows the suffering to occur so that in the end a greater victory can be achieved. I think a lot of times we see this played out in our prayers for either ourselves or for our loved ones who are sick or struggling with their health. But sometimes, I don't know if this is going to encourage you or make you scratch your head, but I'll say it anyway. Sometimes God's answers to our prayers for health and for healing is by divinely answering it with death. Sometimes His answers for health and healing is death. 
It's the ultimate deliverance of pain and suffering. Sometimes as we pray for health and healing, God answers it by removing us from this world and walking us into his world. And so for the Christ follower, that is, let me be clear, for those that believe in him, put their faith and trust in him, faith transforms death from being a frightening experience into being a freeing reality. Because death is the ultimate release of all pain and suffering. And so, in times of great suffering, we're to be honest in our prayers, confess our trust in God, remember the incomparable suffering of Jesus, we pray for God's help, and in the midst of it all, we remain a strong witness for God. Look how it ends up here in verse number 22. He says, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All the descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship All those who go down to the dust will bow down before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. To be a strong witness. Right there at the very beginning, he he promised, I'll tell of your name. I will praise you. In verse number 25, it says, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. And this passage of scripture gives us an awesome example for us to follow. In the midst of everything that we go through, when things are going well, and when things are going not so hot, when they're very difficult and painful, We're to follow the example and to remember that we are resolved to remain a strong witness for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so how do we do that? We're going to continue in the midst of our suffering to proclaim the gospel. God's great love for mankind, our desperate need of forgiveness because of the sin and the filth that's in our life. And so we'll remain resolved to preach the gospel to all people. Not just when we feel like it, not just when we want to, but we'll have a desire that motivates us to look for the opportunities and to create the opportunities to tell the good news to others. Not only will we do that, when we remain a solid witness for our Lord, we will testify of God's working in our lives. We share the good news, we share the gospel, and we share our testimony about how God has been faithful and how God has been working in and through our lives. And when we do both of those things 
two things will occur. God gets the glory and it stirs other people up to rejoice in Him. Really, that's what it's all about. That we would glorify God and stir others to rejoice in Him. I asked you a couple of questions to begin. I'll ask you a couple of questions to end. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. For those that were willing to admit that you're struggling, desperate, frustrated, feeling somewhat abandoned or isolated from God, my question for you is will you be honest in your prayers? Will you confess your trust in God? Will you remember the incomparable suffering of our Lord? Will you pray for His help? And will you stay resolved to be a strong witness for Him? Father, in this time of invitation, I pray that the answer to all five of those questions is a strong yes. Help us to make decisions in this moment that would honor and glorify you. Not only that, that would stir others to rejoice in you. We commit this time to you. In Christ's name I pray.